This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello, and welcome back. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School, and I'm here with my co-host and fellow marketing professor, America Reed. It's a pleasure to be here. Listeners, if you could just hear the, 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 the <laughs> wonderful conversations that go on between breaks, you would be amazed. Yeah, we talk about branding, <laughs> retailing, yeah. and academics. We get very excited about this stuff. We marketing do. is the most interesting field. The most. <laughs> and that's why this show is called Marketing Matters. Yep. It's on Sirius X. Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, and it's on Sirius XM 111. That is correct. And our third guest of this show is Stephanie Recho. She's the co-founder and CMO of Mia Tango. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, how are you? So are you, like us, been your whole career in marketing? I have, yeah. So I've been doing this for a long time now, and I geek out on it just as much as you do. Nice. That's awesome. Very cool. So this, this Mia Tango is your newest invention, but you've cut, you have a different background, right? You want to tell us a little bit about what you did before you got to Mia Tango? Yeah, sure. I mean, immediately before being at Mia Tango, which is how uh, Melissa, the founder, and I met, uh, I was at kayak.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was our CFO, and uh, I uh, started out heading up marketing in the United States um, and then transitioned over to Europe and then moved back and headed up marketing for North America on my return. Uh, but prior to that, I mostly worked in agencies. So I actually started in uh, the very, very humble area of direct marketing, mm. um, which, you know, that uh, that I guess it dates me right away, <laughs> right out of the gate. I've I've given away how old I am. Um, but it was actually, for me, a great way to start out in marketing because I learned, uh, you know, sort of the, the performance end of things and then became a lover of building brands. And that combination has really served me well uh, over all of my different adventures, over the course of all those different adventures in marketing. Well, direct marketing is really the forerunner of e-commerce mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, absolutely, yeah. So that yeah. kind of knowledge was particularly useful, I think, because it's going direct to the end user. That's the whole idea. Absolutely, and and so I think that having that first um, really gave me such a great foundation for the world that we live in today. And so, um, and then when you worked on brands, you said you were in an agency, so an advertising agency, that's what it was? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out working at Leo Burnett when Leo Burnett nice. was still a private organization, and that was uh, in Toronto. And I moved to New York, and I worked at Ogilvy. Oh, I worked wow. at uh, Shia Day in nice. New York. This is like all the agencies. I know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, the why'd you who? move around? I, I mean, know, those right. are really cool agencies, but why did you move around? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of an ad agency phenomenon to move mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, some of it was driven, the first move was definitely driven by my desire to move to New York. I was actually born in New York, but I grew up in Canada. And at that time in my life, I was, you know, ready to make a big move. And I uh, played hooky from work for a week, and I came down to New York, and I did about, I think I did probably about 20 interviews across about six different agencies. And uh, I had a couple of offers by the end of my week of playing hooky. For you. Three wow. weeks later, I lived in New York. So, wow. so what's, um, how's branding different in Canada versus America? Were there, is it the same, or is there really some distinctions? 
fundamentally, there are a lot of, you know, similarities. The schools of thought are the same, but I think there are just some challenges in dealing with a different market size. You know, from the agency perspective, um, you know, some of the challenges were smaller budgets, and of course the budgets were relative to the population. I think also, you know, in making the advertising, you dealt with uh, really a different view on production value and your ability to make those kinds of things happen. And a lot of times you were asked to be doing, not necessarily in my area because I was working in direct, but on the brand side, a lot of my coworkers were being asked to sort of pick up strategy from elsewhere as though Canada was not a unique market. And I think that while there are a ton of similarities um, between Canada and the United States, there are also some some real differences. And so I think a lot of what you're doing is trying to articulate what those differences might be for a, a certain brand and then, you know, selling in the making it happen. Um, so I think those are some of the things from an advertising agency perspective that, you know, we were dealing with at the time. And then after you worked in these agencies, that's when you went to Kayak? Yeah. So the 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 transition to kayak was kind of a funny one. So I had actually, it's actually funny because my first client side experience was at Sirius Satellite Radio. Oh. <laughs> um, before before the merger with XM, um, I worked in marketing at Sirius uh, for a while, mm-hmm. and then I went back to work at Shia Day. I'm a repeat offender on the Shia Day front <laughs> because um, I had met an individual uh, the first time that I worked there. I really found to be, you know, an inspiring, uh, an inspiring mentor and, and a great boss. And so I went back to Shia to work for him. And then ultimately down the road, he was the CMO of Kayak oh. and hired me to go work at Kayak. And at the time, it was such a great, uh, a great transition to really be the owner of the brand from end to end, as opposed to delivering on the communications end of things mm-hmm. as the advertising agency. So really owning you know, the positioning, owning messaging, owning brand identity, owning all of the media as well, um, and, and obviously owning the creative process, um, I thought at the time was just a really motivating, you know, thing to be working on. And so, that's why I made the, the transition to Kayak. So exactly what is Kayak? And just for people who don't know, and what did you do with them? What was the brand that you were owning there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Kayak is an online uh, travel search site, and it's a meta search site. Mm-hmm. So um, at the time, it was a unique product in the category. So at the, at the time that I started, which was uh, late 2010, early 2011, um, the category was made up mostly of direct sellers, so you went directly to a hotel site or directly to an airline site and purchased from them, or you went to an online travel agent. You went to an Expedia.com or a Travelocity or mm-hmm. an Orbit. Mm-hmm. And Kayak came in and basically was like a search engine, um, and it compared uh, all of the others, and you with that wealth of information in front of you could choose the option that was right for you, but they weren't the ones selling it to you. They were, at the beginning anyway, passing you on to, you know, say you wanted that flight from Delta or say you wanted to book the hotel with, you know, Hilton or the W or whichever one it was. At the beginning, you went on to that particular site and booked it through them. And over time, Kayak also developed their own 
booking pass, although they were never the holders of the inventory. It was MetaSearch until the very end, but they uh, created a better user experience because that handoff was sometimes a little bit painful. You know, you were on Kayak's nice, clean, very rational user interface that provided you with a lot of information, and then you were punted off to some site that had a suboptimal experience. So over time, Kayak also developed a booking path, but it was really uh, you were white labeled. You were you were really booking through somebody else, and that was very clear to you. Although there were misperceptions there, but if you were booking on Booking.com or on Delta, it was made clear to you that you were booking directly from the seller, and so. Really, our, our brand proposition going in was first and foremost, search one and done. You didn't need to go to all the other sites. We were really keying into a category insight, and you, you may have experienced this mm-hmm. as well, that when you're booking travel, you will probably search at least a handful of sites before you make your decision. And a lot of people search a lot of sites when they're making that decision. A lot of people pain themselves greatly going through that decision-making process. And so for us, it was, you don't need to go to all the others. You can, but if you come to us, we're going to compare all of them, and you're going to be able to find the best result for you, whether your best result is the lowest price or the specific date. That wow, that's a, a great proposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the proposition at the, at the time, later on, other other products and other brands came in that were doing the same thing. But for the first, oh gosh, I mean, the, the product launched out of beta in 2005. And really for those first five years, they only did performance marketing. And in 2009, they hired Robert because they realized that they couldn't scale to the point that they wanted to just by doing that, that they actually needed to grow the brand. And that's when Search One and Done came in. And that's when that, you know, we compare hundreds of travel sites uh, came into play um, and they grew the brand. But at the time, it was unique in the category. And what a great product difference. Yeah, uh, that's really there. I mean, like to me, that's what Amazon does. It's easy. Mm. You know, so anybody can make all of that stuff easy. It's a lot. It's, it's a really mm-hmm. good segment to go after. There are a Absolutely. lot of people who care about that. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like this was a great proposition. Why did you end up leaving? Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, over time, other competitors came into the space that were doing the same thing. Mm. Um, and really, in the early days of Kayak, there was a real commitment to product innovation. And to a a degree, they've maintained that. They're definitely trying to do some things with AI. Mm. Um, They're trying to allow search via chatbots and things like that. But the commitment to the product innovation, I don't think that the product has maintained its differentiation. Mm. It certainly hasn't, not with competitors coming into the space doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that they've um, continued to differentiate the product in a meaningful way for consumers. And then... You know, interestingly enough, I think over time lost their commitment to the brand as well. Um, So as they expanded globally, um, there was a real desire to uh, invest in the growth of other markets. And the U.S. at the time was the the biggest market for them by far, by a wide margin. Uh, And they opted to really ratchet back the marketing investment in that market 
and to use the profitability of that market to fund growth in other markets. And so that market was really looked at to become an efficient workhorse. A cash cow. Beautifully for a while. But, you know, I think that that there's this common misperception that um, the performance marketing is enough on its own. And over time, I think the brand started to decline. And now, you know, now being outside of it, I've been gone for, for just over a year. You know, I really don't see that brand as present in this market anymore. And I don't see that product innovating. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that that's unfortunate. I think it's a bit of a brand in decline at this point. Yeah. Well, yeah. then you get out at the right time. Right. We're speaking to Stephanie Recho. She's co-founder and CMO of Mia Tango. And we're about to ask her yes. <laughs> about her new endeavor. But she's been talking about Kayak and her past experience in advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just got to the point in her story about why she left Kayak. And But how, why did you go? I mean, you have all this agency experience, all this experience with companies. Why would you go and start your own company? Well, um, so, you know, the interesting thing about Mia Tango is it's such, you know, going back to what you guys were talking about when you came back on the air about the interesting conversations you get into about marketing. It's such an interesting marketing problem to solve. And that Mm -hmm. is a big part of it for me. And it's also, there's a personal inspiration there. If you talk to anybody who has been, in category for maternity clothing, mm. you pretty universally get a similar response to the question of, so what was it like to shop for maternity clothes? Most of the time you get a, oh, it's terrible, <laughs> it's yeah, awful, yeah. you know? And I think that the, the category is really screaming for a transformation. Um, and I think that that's really what interested me. You know, the, the inspiration story is really Melissa's story. When we were at Kayak, we, um, the, you know, when we started at Kayak, Kayak was privately held, and it IPO'd in 2012, and she was the CFO. And within a few months of IPOing, we were acquired by the Priceline Group. Mm. And so she had to go through that entire process. But, oh, by the way, she was pregnant at the same time with twins. And so (laughs) she went through the roadshow pregnant um, and, you know, had to dress for that. And then, so, you know, you're... She was a, a let's say a certain size. Yeah, <laughs> when twins. The show happened. <laughs> and about three months later, when she was eight months pregnant, um, you know the acquisition uh, started to happen with Priceline, and so she had to attend those meetings. And there was a meeting right near near the end, uh, you know, end of her pregnancy and also end of the process, where she she couldn't she honestly couldn't figure out what to wear, and it was specifically her. You know, everybody has a a specific maternity challenge. Either, you know, you grow you grow too much or your feet swell up or, or whatever. And hers was that her feet swelled up. And she ended up having to go to a meeting in house slippers with the CEO and the CFO of the Priceline Group, a $66 billion company. And they are the nicest people in the world. But you can't um, unsee but, slippers. Yeah, but you, you don't feel like yourself. And she yes. sort of thought to herself, well, well this sucks. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, this, there has to be a better solution to this. And so, you know, that, the inspiration really came from her. But that insight is so common. that, that So let me, let me see awful. if I can articulate it. Is the, is the insight that the product wasn't available or the shopping experience was too difficult? So it's, it's both. So there's, at the, you know, there's a, 
there's a challenge with product being available, and there's a challenge. There are some designers out there who, do, who are doing amazingly thoughtful things. They're mostly women. They're mostly women who've been through it themselves, who've had a specific challenge. So, for example, clothes that you can nurse in easily but still feel good wearing to work. That's a challenge. Yeah. And so there are lots of brands who are addressing a niche challenge, but they're small they're small companies, um, mostly, you know, one-woman one shows. They don't have a lot of marketing uh, budget to get themselves out there and get themselves known. And when you're the pregnant woman looking for clothing, it's really mm. hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard to find good stuff that is your style, whatever your style mm. may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's a conundrum on both ends. There's a little bit of a supply problem. Is, you know, is there enough good stuff out there? I think more and more there is starting to be good stuff, but it's really hard to find them. And so for us, it's, it's about bringing those all together in one place. So, so we have a little bit of a hybrid model. We do. Okay, I was going to ask, are you yeah. a marketplace? <clears throat> yeah, we do marketplace. Um, so it's hybrid. We do partly traditional retail. Um, and we do partly marketplace partners. And do you make your own product, or you just buy product from brands and inventory? And so far, we only buy from brands, but doing our own line is part of the future plan. So, so ultimately, we want to be doing all three of these things. We want to have a portion that's traditional retail, a portion that's marketplace, and a portion that is us designing our own line. Mm. The thing that really makes this interesting, though. I mean, not that it's not interesting enough to begin with, but the behavior in this category is fascinating because one of the other really big things that's a challenge in this category is not just, you know, scarcity of good product or the good product is out there but impossible to find. It's that women feel guilty buying maternity clothing. So is this a category for Rent the Runway? It, it is a little bit, but the challenge with Rent the Runway is a little bit, there's, I, I don't want to say it's a quality thing. I've used Rent the Runway. It's not a quality issue. But for us, we wanted to offer people the avenue to buy, but we also have a trade program. So it's not a rental program, mm-hmm. but we, we basically say for any item that you purchase new from us, you can trade it back in within nine months of your date of purchase, and we'll give you 30% cash back. And then what we do is we sell stuff pre-loved. And once it goes out the door pre-loved, that's, you know, that's a, that we don't trade back from the pre-loved stuff. And eventually we're going to add another component to it where we're going to accept donations and we'll make sure that they get it to women in need. Mm-hmm. We're still building out the entire, the entire value proposition. But... We like that idea because the pre-loved stuff has only been, ever been worn by one other woman. Right. Um, and so for that, for us, that was that was important versus the and that alleviates the guilt program. on both sides for the first user and the second user. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, but it's it's so interesting. You know, the reason that we set up trade and that we set up pre-loved is partly to offset this guilt. But there there are some really interesting things where. People need to be nudged along through, you know, they, they sort of behave a little bit irrationally in the category. So I'll, I'll give you a great example. So, and I'm sure you've heard people say this. So rather than buying maternity clothing, which is, you know, purpose-built, made for you in this particular 
phase of your life. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm not going to go out and buy maternity clothing. I don't want to spend money on that. I'm going to go out and buy, you know, I'm usually a size small or a size medium. I'm going to go out and buy a large or an extra large. Mm-hmm. So I can wear it when I'm done being pregnant. So I can wear it when I'm right. done being pregnant. I, I made that mistake. Never works. <laughs> <laughs> because, and, and the funny thing about it is when you look at that, that you, you're buying maternity clothing. Yeah, that's maternity crazy. clothing. That's yeah. not, you know, you're, it is it is very true that your needs and your style will change once you become a mother, but buying the large in the pants <laughs> when you're really a small is not, is not, not the fix. Yeah. You know, and I'm guilty of another irrational behavior. So instead of investing in some quality pieces, I spent less on the pieces that I bought but then hated them, so I bought a whole bunch more of them, yeah. mm-hmm. which is also completely irrational. Mm-hmm. You know, so you end up with buckets of stuff that you want to have a bonfire with you know, at the end. And that's really what people were telling us. And so what we'd like to do is be able to provide a variety of different avenues for women to, to sort of address that guilt um, that they feel. You know, you're, when you're pregnant... You're, you're bringing a human into the world, a very expensive little human. <laughs> you know? And so your focus is on, oh, I got I to gotta buy for the baby. I got to buy for the baby. It's not about you. But mm. the challenge is that you also, that's a time when you should shine, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so we want to try to, without, without the guilt, offsetting the guilt, bring the focus back to, the mom and her taking care of herself so, and feeling good. And mm-hmm. you know, you're a great brand strategist, so you've developed a very nice proposition for this brand. But it's a brand new brand. So how did you get awareness? How are you building awareness? So for us, I mean, we're still bootstrapped at this stage. So awareness is definitely a challenge for us. Um, and so what we're doing is we've basically been been testing our way into. Uh, a view of what I will call a view of how we would scale, <laughs> given, given where we are right now. So we definitely did start by employing some performance marketing tactics. We wanted to see which of those tactics could scale for us if and when you know we get to that point that we have the budget that we want. And what we found was you know, there are definitely there are definitely opportunities there. The target audience is there. The target audience is hungry for a product like this. So there's, but there's something else that needs to happen, and it kind of goes back to those behavioral issues, the irrational things that people do and nudging them through it. We need to, what we discovered was that optimal combination of things was going to be something along the lines of the performance marketing plus some PR for credibility, mm-hmm. plus influencers. Mm. Because oh. it was going to allow us to better be able to tell our story. And that's really the stage that we're in right now. I would call it, we're sort of the pre-scaling stage. Mm-hmm. So awareness is definitely a challenge for us right now. But we know what combination of channels we would put together right out of the gate once we are funded. And that's, that's really what we're focusing on right now is, is getting funding so that we can take it to that next level. So when you're defining influ- influencers, obviously you're going to probably look for people who are pregnant. Um, yeah. Are you going to try to get like pregnant bloggers or pregnant celebrities or pregnant athletes? Or? It's a combination of things. So I, I will say that um, there are definitely what we'd like is a mix. Because the product offering is a mix. We do athletic wear. We mm-hmm. do occasion dresses. We do casual wear. We do work wear. 
Um, we do transition wear. We do nursing, all of those kinds of things. So it's a combination of um, pregnant influencers and new moms because that's our audience. The audience isn't just the people who are pregnant, but it's also the people who are in what I would call early motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and there's a particular, you know, we want the, the person, we see our woman as being active, she's competent, she's a self-starter. That doesn't necessarily mean she has to be working out of the home, but she has a point of view on things. And so there are certain types of bloggers and Instagrammers that really resonate with us. And I would, I would price our product as being somewhere in the middle. We're not... Um, you know, we're not the lower end of the price spectrum like uh, an Old Navy or a Target would be, mm-hmm. but we're also not the high end of the spectrum, um, you know, the, the sort of very, um, very upper tier maternity things. It's not $500 for a sweater. You know, the average price of an item on our site is around $100. So that puts us sort of squarely in the middle. And so we're looking for women also who are, are you know, sort of fit that, that image. So one thing I think that's on your side, I would imagine, is that these pregnant women and new moms are networked. And so you can find somebody and then use social media as something to get the message out through the network. Absolutely. This is such, it's so interesting coming from online travel to this. And it's not that people are not engaged in travel, though Kayak was a very sort of you utility-like product. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the inspiration product. We weren't inspiring people to travel. So it was a little bit more on the lower part of the funnel. Once you knew where you were going, right. you could go to Kayak and find exactly what you needed. This is a little bit different. And I will say that this audience is so engaged. They're so excited and they are so networked with one another. Um, so there, that definitely is a big part of the power of those channels. Um, in this particular mix. I don't know, you know, I know it exists in some categories. It definitely does not exist in all categories or everybody would be doing it, although some people are doing it and probably shouldn't be. Um, but it it really is an interesting part of this mix. So we have a caller, Junie from North Carolina. Would you like to ask Stephanie a question? Uh, it's not so much a question, but uh, as a thought, as I'm headed to the golf course, I'm thinking... When I, when I, way back when, when I was going to be a, uh, an expectant father, it was very important to me to how my pregnant uh, first lady looked. And yeah. I don't know if it's possible to... Oh, that's an interesting angle. ...to involve men as a part of the marketing. Yes. Um, interesting. Still definitely. Yeah. Where, yeah. where we get involved in kind of, you know, trying to pick out items for, for her or so on. So I, interesting. it just dawned on me that perhaps that could be another approach to uh, growth marketing. Oh, Jenny, thank you for that question. You know, it's interesting because having just been through the, you know, the Mother's Day season, I call it a season now because it lasts for a while, um, we we definitely, you know, oriented the gift guide, uh, you know, not just to the moms and to their friends, but also to their significant others and to the men in their lives. And I think as we grow, we definitely would like to, to grow what we do against those audiences, because I do think that that is very important. 
Yeah, I, I don't see these brands targeted. It didn't yeah. even occur to me. Right. You were yeah. like, men, what do you have to do with it? Your job is done. Exactly. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah, what's this guy Wait a minute, I want to be involved. Yeah. Can I help uh, with the fashion sense and all of this? Yeah, That's a really interesting angle. I, yeah. I just really haven't seen that before. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. And if you want to find out more about Stephanie Recho and her new product, Me Tango, on the new maternity destination very website, cool mm-hmm. go to com. And when we come back, Americus and I are going to talk about my new upcoming book, The Shopping Revolution. And we'll start out with some of the trends that are changing the industry and how what's a way to possibly respond to that. That and your calls right after this on Marketing Matters, Business Radio, powered by Wharton on Sirius XM 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you.